Well, I guess... I guess you know who I am, but I'll say it again. My name is Steve Atkins. I'm the lead pastor here at Hillcrest Church. And we did have an amazing, amazing weekend last weekend. Uh, it was what I loved at the very end of the weekend, Sunday morning, if you were here, you maybe experienced this, is that service went a little bit long. We were, we were having cake and stuff afterwards, and nobody wanted to go home. Isn't that amazing? It's just people wanted to bask in the, in the glow of the whole weekend of uh, just, again, incredible 100-year celebration. Well, to kickstart the next 100 years, uh, <laughs> I want to start with a new series, a new uh, teaching series, and uh, we've, it's entitled Daring Faith, The Key to Miracles. So we're going to talk about how faith and miracles go together over the next six weeks, and in your life groups, you're going to be, uh, there's some videos you can watch there and, and discussion you're going to have there. But we really uh, want our faith to be challenged and stretched and strengthened. So let me read you some verses on faith. Romans 1:17. This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is the NLT. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. Now, as I was growing up, that last line would have said, the just will live by faith. So how does God make us right with him? Well, it starts and it finishes by faith. And when we've been made right with God by faith, we're to continue to live our lives by faith. Here's the next verse, Hebrews 11:6 in the NIV. And without faith, it's impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And did you know that God wants to reward you for earnestly seeking him? Did you know that? So if the Bible says that God makes us right with him by faith, the way to live is by faith, and without faith it's impossible to please God, and that God rewards your faith, then what is faith? We should really want to know. So throughout these weeks, we're going to talk about the different, many different facets of faith, and I want to start, I, it's funny, I went on, just Googled it online, what is faith, and lots of different Christian authors, and I read a different one, and there's many different ways it can be defined. I'm going to give you one facet of faith here this morning, and that is by saying that faith is seeing from God's point of view. Faith is seeing from God's point of view. Faith is a way of seeing. It's a way of looking at the world from God's viewpoint. It's having God's perspective. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. So confidence for what we hope for will happen. An assurance that the things that we don't see yet will come to pass. Now, if you're married, you'll probably agree with this. It does seem like there's more than one way to see things. I mean, even, if you, even with your kids or with your parents, maybe you've experienced that. There's, there's more than one way to, to see a situation. And you may not always agree. Sometimes that leads to a little bit of friction in our lives because we see things differently. How many times have you heard say, someone say that about their friendships or their relationships? We don't see this the same. <laughs> um, so there might even be dozens of different ways of looking at 
certain things. But what really matters is not how you see it and not really how I see it, but how does God see it? Because he sees perfectly. He's got 20-20 vision in all areas. And faith is learning to see things from God's point of view. Ephesians 1.18 says, I pray that the eyes of your heart will be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which you were called. How many of you have ever heard the song that goes like this? Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Anyone? Open the eyes of my... No, maybe you don't recognize it because I'm singing it so badly. Um, it's really a nice song when gifted people sing it. Um, what does it mean when we sing a song like that? What does it mean to have the eyes of our hearts opened or, or as we read, enlightened so that you may know the hope to which he has called you? Well, the Old Testament's got lots of stories about people's eyes that were opened. Uh, there's a story of a woman named Hagar and her son Ishmael, and they're in the desert, and they're pretty much going to die of thirst. And um, God opens Hagar's eyes so she can see where water is. There's a well over here, and they're, they're, they're saved. Um, there's a story about Elisha and Gehazi, and they're in, a, they're in a city, and the city is surrounded by an enemy army that's much more powerful than them, and Gehazi is losing it, and Elisha prays that his eyes will be opened, and then he's, his eyes are opened, and he sees the spiritual realm, and he sees that the city is surrounded by an army of angels. God opened his spiritual eyes. Abraham had his eyes opened. He, he was asked by God to go up on a, on a mountain and look up at the stars. And he said that your descendants would be as many as the stars in the sky, that numerous. And it said that Abraham believed. It's his spiritual eyes were opened, even though he didn't even have a child at that time. He saw by faith. After the resurrection, the Bible tells us that two disciples are walking down the road to Emmaus. They're all upset and discouraged because Jesus has been crucified on the cross. Their hopes have been crushed. Their dreams have been dashed, and they're in despair. And all of a sudden, Jesus is, comes walking with them, and they have this conversation. And they invite him for dinner, but they don't realize it's Jesus. Their eyes are closed to that reality. And so they sit down, and they're having a meal together. And when he breaks the bread, he blesses the meal, their eyes are opened. And they realize Jesus is right there with them. So this is what I want you to think about. What if God has made provision for you? He has assigned angels to you. He has a much bigger plan for you than your plan for your life. And he is right there with you. But you don't see it. And so as a result of not seeing it, you do nothing with it. You don't attempt anything. You don't expect anything. God needs to open, or we need God to open the eyes of our heart. That's why Paul prayed that prayer. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be opened. That's what I'm praying for us as a church. I'm praying that for myself, that the eyes of faith, that would see the things that God has in store for us, would be opened. So today I want to look what I want to look at what happens when we see and contrast when we see with eyes of fear or eyes of faith. So if you've got 
a Bible, you could, maybe the bench Bible in front would work, or maybe you've got a digital Bible, whether it's paper or digital, I invite you to turn to Numbers chapter 13 and verse 27. Numbers 13, in the bench Bible, it's on page 117. I looked it up for you. So you can go there. And we're going we're gonna to hang out in the, with these verses for a little while, so I welcome you to just follow along. Numbers 13 and 27, or 100, page 117 in the bench Bible. All right, I love the sound of the pages rustling. I can't hear the fingers swiping, but I'm sure you're doing that too. So Moses has led a nation of Israel to freedom, out from under the power of Pharaoh and slavery in Egypt. And they've been traveling slowly, because, you know, if you're traveling as a nation together, you're probably traveling at the speed of the slowest person. And that would be uh, something that would, for many of us, cause us to pray. <laughs> Man, that one guy, he is making this journey terrible. Anyhow, so they've crossed the Red Sea. They're coming up to a place called Kadesh, and they're at the edge of the, of the land of Canaan. And this is the land that's been promised to them for 400 years, that they would have their own country. They would have freedom. They'd be free from slavery. And before they go in, Moses, uh, under God's direction, he, he recruits a spy team one spy from every one of the 12 tribes to go into the land and check it out and then to bring back a report. And so these 12 spies go in and then they come back and they give a mixed report. Two of the spies say this. This is verse 30 in chapter 13. Um, then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it. It's incredible. Let's go take it. God has given us this land. This is our promised land. Those two spies were named Joshua and Caleb. But there's ten other spies. And then they come back and they say, yeah, it's a great place, but... And then they have a whole list of problems for why they can't go in. And they're not seeing with eyes of faith. They're seeing with eyes of fear. Now, let me just... You know, some of you read the Bible growing up. Let me just pause. Don't, don't look at your Bible in front of you for a second. And I'm just going to read you the names of these ten men. And I want you to think about whether you have heard of them before. Okay? So raise your hand if you've not just read it in this last second, but if you've heard of these names. These are familiar to you. Uh, raise your hand if you know Shaphat. Shaphat. Egal. Egal. Anyone know Palti? How about Gadiel? And his buddy Gaddy. There's two like that. Gadiel and Gaddy. Amiel? Anyone heard of Sether? How about Nabi? How about Gul? Gul. <laughs> Shamua. No, not Shamu like the whale, but Shamua. Well, if you're pregnant and you were looking for a baby name that's unique, I just gave you 10 that nobody's using. Why? Because the naysayers, the people who say it cannot be done, the people who say, let's not try, we tend to forget. What we remember is the people who say, let's do this in God's name. Let's launch out in faith. Well, there's lots of babies named after those ones. So nobody remembers what the 
what members of the critics who say it can't be done. The people of faith, they do are they are remembered and they're immortalized in the Bible. Again and again. So here's this entire generation. And as we read, you'll see it more, but this entire generation mixed they missed God's next great chapter of purpose and provision for them as a people. And I hate for that to happen for me or for you. That's why seeing with eyes of faith is so important. So let's look closer at this passage and ask a question. What happens when we see with eyes of fear? I've got five quick things. One, we exaggerate our difficulties when we see with eyes of fear. Numbers 13 and back in verse 27, that first verse. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. So God has just delivered them from Egypt, the most powerful nation in the world. But now they're at the land of Canaan, and they're worried about some local tribes. Isn't it amazing how fast you can forget what God has done for you? When you look at your problems with eyes of fear, the problems get bigger. The more you look at your problem, the more exaggerated it gets. Like, think about this. Let's say one person criticizes you. And you dwell on that. And, you, and, you, and you, the more you think about it, pretty soon you're thinking that everybody's looking at you like that. That everyone's criticizing you, maybe secretly behind your back. I can tell you sometimes, I can preach a sermon and then I can get one email. And I feel like everything was terrible. Well, obviously, that's not the whole picture. But our, our problems, they grow. Our difficulties get exaggerated when we see with eyes of fear. The next verse says this, uh, or the next verse we're going to look at is, is verse 31 in Numbers 13. But the men who'd gone up with him said, we can't attack these people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explore devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. So this, their problems are, are getting bigger in their minds. We can't overcome. They're stronger. They're bigger. It doesn't sound like they're counting God into the equation at all. Just their own strength. And they've forgotten that their own strength isn't what got them here. I think when we look back at our 100-year history as a church, we have to remind ourselves again and again, we did not get here by our own strength. God provided again and again and again and again. So the majority are, are fearful and worried. And, and this is often is the case. Negative attitudes are contagious. Now, when they walked up to the edge of the land of promise, they were excited. And then 10 guys come back and say, we can't do it. And a whole bunch of them change their mind. That negative attitude spreads through the whole nation. Now, here's what's ironic about this whole scenario. If you know the story, you know that because they refused to go into the land of promise, 
God sentences them to go back into the desert. Basically, he's going to try again with the next generation. So they live in the desert for 40 years. They don't live in the land of promise. And then when that generation has passed away, they come back with the, with the next generation, and they are able to go into the land of promise. Now, the ironic thing about all this is they're so fearful about the enemy and, and how they cannot defeat them, and, and they're so big, and there's so much, you know, that they miss out on the reality of what's actually going on in the land of Canaan. So when they come around the second time, they send only two spies out this time to spy out the city of Jericho. And they meet a lady named Rahab. And Rahab hides them uh, on the roof of her house under these sheaves of grain. And then she comes up onto the roof, and this is what she tells them about what's been going on in Canaan over the last 40 years while they've been in the wilderness. Before the spies went to sleep that night, Rahab went up on the roof. This is Joshua 2, 9 to 11. Rahab went up onto the roof to talk with him. I know the Lord has given you this land, she told them. We are all afraid of you. Whoa. (laughs) Who was the Freddy Cats before? The Israelites. Everyone in the land is living in terror. For we have heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt. Forty years ago, they knew the Israelites were going to win. Just the Israelites didn't know it. No one, verse 11, no wonder our hearts, this is Rahab, no wonder our hearts have melted in fear. No one has the courage to fight after hearing such things. For the Lord your God is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. There's more faith in the land of Canaan than there was in the Israelites. They said, we've been living in panic for 40 years. Because we heard about what God did to Pharaoh, the most powerful leader in the world. We've been scared to death and ready to surrender this whole time. And by the way, why did it take you 40 years to come? What were you up to? We spent 40 years in terror. Because we knew your God is powerful. So we exaggerate our difficulties. Here's the second thing. Maybe, I'm going to take a diversion here real quick. When I picked this passage and was looking at a teaching on it, there was no fighting in the Middle East. Things have changed rapidly, haven't they? Let me just say this about it. Some people go like, I don't know about this, you know, God leading people to displace other people. I think, let me say this, hopefully it clears things up, doesn't make it more murky. I think God always meant for this area of the world to be influential in the world. I mean, we're talking about the intersection between Africa, Asia, and Europe. And back in those days, that would have been a well-traveled route all three directions. And so I think God always meant for that area that, you know, where that tiny little area where, the, where Israel is today and was then, to be influential in the world. But what kind of influence? When God told Abraham that he was going to give him and his descendants that land, 
He also said to him, it won't happen for over 400 years. We say, why? This was God's reason. God said, um, your descendants will be stranger in a land that's not theirs, where he's talking about their time in Egypt, where they'll be enslaved and oppressed for 400 years. Then they shall return here, back to where Abraham was in the land of Canaan, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. This is a crazy thing to get your head around. God, the Bible says God is slow to anger. He's slow to anger. So God isn't just some unhinged loser, God that just is losing his temper all the time or something like that. It says he's slow to anger. So here the Amorites, uh, when Abraham lived there, there was, a, you know, there was even some de- decent relationships that Abraham had with the inhabitants of the land. But the Amorites were on a path of greater and greater evil. I mean, including things like human sacrifice, including sacrificing their own children in the fires of worshiping idols. And God allowed... So some people say, I, I'm mad that God would, you know, turf the Amorites out of the land in favor of the Israelites. Well, you might be mad that he let them stay as long as they did, if you really think about it. 400 years of human sacrifice and all sorts of other evil practices before God decided that the inhabitants of that area should be replaced with the children of Israel. Now, you might think, oh, that's not fair. God's, you know, playing favorites with the Israelites. God told the Israelites when they came into the land to replace the evil of the Amorites that if they did the same practices, he would turf them out of the land. And he followed through on his promise because five, six hundred years later, the Israelites went into exile because they had gone on to do the exact same evil sins as the Amorites. So when there's, when you're looking in the world scheme of, you know, Israel and Gaza and who really owns the land and who should be there and who shouldn't, I think God means, and all throughout, you know, Thousands of years of history, we've seen battles for that piece of territory because it's a place of influence. That's my theory on on that. But God has always been uh, looking for it to be a place of godly influence. And uh, the Amorites uh, descended into evil, and later on the Israelites did as well. And in both cases, God dealt with them the same way. He he, He turfed them out of the land. So... Perspective. So we exa- back to what we're saying. We, we exaggerate our difficulties when we, we see with eyes of faith. But the second thing is we underestimate our own abilities. Numbers 13.33. We saw the Nephilim there. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And we looked the same to them. Now when they say... We saw ourselves like grasshoppers in our own eyes. They're just reporting on their own self-image. And then they say, and we look the same to them. Well, how do they know how they look to them? They don't. There's a word for this. It's called projection. Right? Well, I just, I know what they're thinking about me. I know how they see me. I know that they're looking down on me. or So they're projecting their fears. Now, I think this might be because they've been slaves for 400 years. 
I mean, they've, they've been free for two. Basically, they had, took them two years to get to this spot, to this moment of decision. But they, for 400 years, they've been enslaved. And even though physically they are free from slavery, there still seems to be some ways in which they're mentally enslaved. They still see themselves as helpless. They still see themselves as, as enslaved. It's through the image that they have of themselves and believing that others see them that way too. And it's possible that that happens for us today as well. It's possible that the things people have said to you or to me uh, may be behind your back and you overheard them. Even though they weren't true, that you may have believed them. Maybe those people aren't even in your life anymore. Some of them might even be dead. But you still might be believing the lies that they spoke. You're still enslaved to their image of you. And I believe that God wants to set us free from those kind of prisons of limitation in our lives. So whatever it is that, that has, has been said about you and has stuck... I don't know what it is. Maybe it's saying, you know, you know, what will you ever amount to? Or that you can't ever do anything significant for God. Or I don't know what it is. It could be in all sorts of categories or areas. I believe that God wants to move into our lives and, and to find the lie that the enemy planted in our lives through that experience of, of being mistreated or through those, those words that were spoken over our lives the really terrible thing is that someone spoke it, and then we repeat it, and we keep repeating it. But God wants to come along, and he wants to change the game in that department. He wants us to give us a whole new way to look at ourselves, to not see ourselves like the Israelites did, that we're just like grasshoppers, we're just like bugs, we're a bunch of insects, and everyone else sees us that way but to see ourselves as children of God, as representatives of the king, as people who are to bring the good news to the world, chosen by him. And, and I can say a lot more about this, but I really believe that, that God wants to do that in our lives, to take some of those shackles, those, those, those um, slave-inducing statements, off of our lives. So the Israelites, first, they overestimated the problem. Second, they underestimated their own ability. But third, they got discouraged. Numbers 14.1, that night all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. They had a giant pity party, big enough for a nation. So they're crying because they didn't get to go into the promised land. And what was keeping them out was their fear. They weren't living by faith. But... We get discouraged when we see with the eyes of faith. Here's the fourth one. And we start to grumble about our lives. We grumble about our lives and everything that's going wrong in our lives. Numbers 14.2. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the whole assembly said to them, If only we died in Egypt or, this, or in this wilderness. Now that's a big grumble. Right? If only we died. That would have been better. So they were mourning and now they're murmuring. They were crying, and now they're complaining. They're experiencing great discontent within themselves. You know, I, when you're living in fear or you're seeing through fear, you become critical. 
In fact, most critical people are often the most insecure people. I remember uh, in the 19, 1994, this will be a snapshot in time, a very short window. There was, there was a, I lived in Nippon and I was a youth, working at a youth center and there was a shirt you needed to have to be cool. You needed to have something from the no fear line of shirts. Does anyone remember this? And you'll admit you had one. Oh, the hands went up and down. I saw that. Yeah. No fear shirts. So the kids at the youth center who had these shirts, which cost money and you had to go buy at the local store in this little small town, they would make fun of the kids who didn't have them. So much so that I noticed over the course of weeks that the kids who didn't have them would go spend their hard-earned money or whatever, given by parents' money, to buy them because they were afraid of the criticism of the other ones. So here's all these kids with these no-fear shirts, and they're all terribly insecure. <laughs> so they have these big brash statements on them, like, you know, uh, second place is the first loser, you know, and they'd be like, yeah, look at me. But they were scared. These kids were all scared. And eventually peer pressure had won over, and they're all wearing no-fear shirts, and I thought, this is ironic. But when you're at that age, that's, you know, what we experience. So insecure people become critical people. <laughs> so we underestimate our abilities. We, we overestimate the problem. We underestimate our abilities. We get discouraged. We gripe and complain. And then we eventually give up and we blame God. Numbers 14, 13. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? When you're really fearful, safety seems awesome. Even if that safety means slavery. Yeah. Remember Egypt? The good old days in Egypt? At least we were safe. At least we weren't going to die by sword. So a lot of people get stuck in slavery because it feels safe to them. That, they go back to that relationship. They go back to that habit, that compulsion, that pattern. They may not like it, but it feels predictable and comfortable. At least we know what it's like in Egypt. But God hasn't made us for Egypt. God has made us for the land of promise. God hasn't made us to stay or to live our lives with safety as our highest value. He's made us to live by faith. He's made us to attempt things for God and to expect things from God, to take risks and experience freedom from old ways of living. So what happens if we switch the plot? What happens when we look with eyes of faith? When we, we learn uh, to see things by faith, learn to dream, learn to, to see what God sees, looking at things not as they are but as they could be, what difference does it make in our lives? Well, the first thing is that faith shrinks our problems. So when you see from God's viewpoint, you're going to see problems shrink. Like, if we have a big God, problems get small. And the reverse is true, too. If we have a small God, then promises get big. We sang this earlier. Christ, be magnified. Be magnified in my life. Now, you're not making God bigger, but we want to see God for who he is. We want a greater and greater understanding of how big he is. I remember in 2008, I got a, a dropped in my heart to go to Africa. I didn't have the money, and then it got provided for me in a, in a miraculous 
amazing way. Stunned me, actually, how it happened. So anyhow, I got, I got given $5,000 to go to Africa out of the blue in, in just an amazing way. And I remember after I went and told, I would tell people, I'd say, sort of nudge them, I'd say, you know God is a $5,000 God? They would go, oh, that sounds terrible, like blasphemous. And I said, well, but do you believe it? Do you believe God can provide like that? I experienced it. Now, is that the full picture of what God can do? No, that's tiny still. But it was, for me, it was a stretching experience in my life, a stretching of my faith, and to see how God could provide in miraculous ways. So when you say, Lord, you're a big God. You can handle this problem. I'm trusting you. I don't know how it's going to be solved, but I'm trusting that God can solve it. You're starting to shrink your problems and expand your understanding of who God is. Genesis 18, 14 says, is anything too hard for the Lord? And it's a rhetorical question, and the answer is obviously no. Nothing is too hard for the Lord. Luke 1, 37, Jesus says, for nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. That's what faith does. It shrinks our problems. The number two thing is faith opens the door for a miracle. You know, faith can move mountains. That's what Jesus said in Mark eleven twenty two to 24. Jesus said, have faith in God. If you have faith in God and you don't doubt, you could tell this mountain to get up and jump in the sea. And it would. Whatever you ask for in prayer will be yours if you only have faith. This verse really stretches my faith. And many times it's easier for me to pray that I would be content with the mountains I have in my life than to ask God to move those mountains. And you know, I know that faith is growing in me when I start asking God to do those things as opposed to shying away from that in my prayers. Because God still does perform miracles today. I've seen a few. I'd like to see many more in my lifetime. I'd like to be on that adventure of faith with him uh, where I'm asking for the mountains to be moved. Uh, let me ask you, what, is there a mountain in your life? What's the mountain that needs to be moved? What's the thing that you look at and that thing hasn't moved and maybe you think it's never going to move or it never can be moved? But how do you know? Maybe God wants to do a miracle. He has in the past. He has in the present. He's done it all over the world. And faith opens the door to miracles. In Matthew 13, 58, Jesus uh, it says that Jesus did not do many miracles there, the town he was in, because of their lack of faith. Their lack of faith caused Jesus not to do many miracles. And if you say, I don't see many miracles in my life, are you seeing with eyes of fear or are you seeing with eyes of faith? Faith opens the door to miracles. Here's the third one. Faith moves God to act on my behalf. Faith moves God to act on my behalf. Now, just to clarify, because probably about this point in the sermon, there's probably a few people in the room who wonder what I really think. I do not believe that God exists to serve me. I do believe that I exist to serve God. So, I, I'm not saying, you know, here, I found that, you know, here's the ticket to get God to do what you want. You know, just rub the, you know, the genie in the lamp. Rub the lamp this way and God will do what you want. That's not how I view God at all. I am his servant. I exist for his pleasure, not he doesn't exist for mine. So, so I'm not talking about 
this is your way to get a whole bunch of money or this is a way for you to get a whole bunch of fame or, you know, whatever things. But I do believe that faith is required to see the things that God wants to do in our lives. So, Matthew 9, 29, Jesus said this, according to your faith, it will be done to you. So your trust in God is a huge factor in how much God moves in your life. How much he blesses your life. I think God works in people's lives because they humbly expect him to. They trust him. And I think that's something we can grow in. It's not like an on or off switch. It's a, it's a, it's stretch that. Strengthen that. By stepping out in faith. By believing God. It was that, I, I was saying this phrase again and again, but missionary Adoniram Judson, who went to Burma, or Myanmar, Myanmar now, he said this, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. Those two go hand in hand. Here's the fourth thing. Faith unlocks all the promises of God. Now, it's been said, I've, I've looked this up a different way. I, it's been said that there's 7,000 promises in the Bible. And 2 Corinthians 1.20 says a very interesting thing about promises. It says, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are all yes in Christ. They're all yes in Christ. So, what if you're going through, um, say you're going through your attic or something, or in somebody's house, and, and you find an old box, and you open the box, and you find a letter, and it says, whoever finds this letter... I will give them a million dollars. Now, that would be really valuable if you know who wrote the letter. And basically worthless if you didn't know who wrote the letter. So when, I, when we read a verse that says, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are all yes in Christ, that in Christ is important. When you are in a right relationship with God, and you can only be in a right relationship with God through what Jesus Christ has done on the cross for you. So there isn't some shortcut where you can, uh, you know, experience all God has for you in your life without having relationship with God. And to have relationship, right relationship with God, there has to be something done about the sin problem that we have in our lives. Now, God is gracious. He sees all of sinful humanity, and he offers a solution that uh, we didn't have. We couldn't make ourselves right with God by doing enough good acts to try to cancel out our bad acts. The, the reality is uh, we needed someone to provide a solution uh, because we couldn't. And so he sends Jesus to take upon himself the sins of the world, your sin and my sin. So that we can be forgiven. That we can have a clean slate with God. In fact, it's not just that, uh, you know, he's, he said, okay, I forgive what you've done. He gives us a new track record. He trades track records with us. We get the track record of Jesus as our standing before God, which is perfect obedience. And Jesus takes our track record of sin whatever we've done on himself on the cross. 
And so because of that, we can be in Christ. We can be part of God's family. We can be sons and daughters of God. I mean, that's part of, that's a huge, that's the beginning of what God has in store for you. I mean, we're going to go further into talking about all the different things God has in store for you. But at first thing, first, God wants you in his family. God wants you as his son or as his daughter. And then that opens up all the promises in the word, all the things that are written towards those who are followers of, of God. So when you read the scriptures and you see a promise there that's for believers, you can start praying those back to God and say, God, you promised this. And I believe you. And I'm expecting to see you work in incredible ways in my life. So just right now, where you're at, if you have not come to that point where you've crossed the line of faith, you've not come to that point where you've given your life to Christ, I would want you to experience all that he has for you. But it's, it's only through giving yourself wholly to him, laying aside your agenda for your life and embracing his agenda. I'm going to just pray right now a prayer of commitment. It's something you could pray every day, and many of, and many of us have prayed this many, many times. But for some of you, it's, it could be the commitment you make, the starting place for experiencing a life of faith with God. So I'm going to pray it. I'm going to invite you guys to repeat it after me. Again, if you're a Christian, you're, you're just praying this to sort of refresh that commitment right now. But if you haven't made that commitment before, this could be the moment where you say, God, yeah, I'm yours. I want to experience all that you have for me. I want to live for you. Let's pray. Repeat after me. Dear Father, thank you that you love me and sent Jesus to die on the cross for my sins. I put my trust in Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Help me live a life that honors you by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So what I'm going to ask, I'm going to end with this. Just two words, ask and act. I think that it's the simplicity of a life of faith. When you see with, with the eyes of faith, this is what, what it really looks like. You're asking in prayer that mountains be moved. You're asking for things that you can't even do on your own. You need God's help to do these things or God has to do the some earth-shaking change for it to possibly come to pass. So my challenge to you, I've described the old the struggle I have in my life. Sometimes I'm like, here's a reality. It's not good. It's not godly. It's not as it should be. And I pray that God just makes me content. And contentment is good. It's a godly uh, virtue. It's good. But there are things that when they're not godly, when they don't align with him 
And he, he commands us to ask. So what I'm going to challenge you with is, where do you stop your asking? Maybe you don't even have a pra- practice of asking God for things to change. But I want to say, if you have a line, whether it's not asking at all or whether you, you stop at this point, you just, I don't ask about those things. I, I, don't, I don't go there. I'm going to ask you to move the line. And if you move that line, it's going to stretch your faith. And so if you, you say, well, I've never prayed for healing before for somebody. Well, move that line and pray. I've never prayed for a marriage to be restored before. I Move the line. I've never prayed for a friend to come to know Christ. Move that line. I've never prayed for our family. I've never prayed for our finances. I've never prayed for my career. I've never prayed for any of these things. Move the line and pray. Ask the Lord to do what only he can do. And then, I mean, this is straight up instructions my mom gave me when I was a kid. Then act. Then act. Act along with your prayer. So if you prayed for something to happen in somebody else's life, engage with them in some way. Find some way you can engage with them. Because you want to be there to see what God can do. You want to be part of it. You want to play a role. You want to contribute. You want to to be partners with God. So just move that line. Wherever you normally stop asking, ask. Did you stand? Lord, I pray in the next six weeks that you would deposit in us as your people things that will affect us for decades. I pray that there be prayers prayed by the people who are hearing my voice right now. There are prayers that are prayed that they've never had the guts to pray before. This is so stretching. This is so uncomfortable. Lord, we know that we we don't grow very much in comfort. But we do grow when we're stretched. We do grow when we're challenged. We do grow when when you invite us to trust you more, to see you more for who you are, to see you as a big God in ways that we've never even seen you that way. So Lord, we, we just ask, would you deposit things in us in faith Would you help us to ask for things we haven't dared to ask for before? And then, Lord, we're trusting you with the rest. We're trusting you with what you will do with that. We're trusting you with how we we dare to ask and how we dare to act. Lord, let our lives not be a life of safety, or a life of slavery, or a life of just living for comfort. Let us live the adventure that you've called us to. Let us live the adventure of faith. We want to see you move. 
We want to see you act. We want to see your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what we're asking for today. In the name of Jesus. And everyone said, Amen. All right, let's, let's worship our Lord.